Bob mixed the um, small firework display that I had requested, but you know. So anyway, I'll keep I'll keep trying. So. Um, Welcome, everyone. I'm Pastor Gabrielle. Everybody called me Pastor Gabe. I'm so happy to be able to teach today. I'm Pastor Bob's wife. So part of my Father's Day gift to him is to give him the day partially off. So, um, so it's been really an exciting and fun thing um, to be working through the Minor Prophets. And I, I don't know if everybody would be like, woohoo, fun, Minor Prophets. But I feel like those are books that are very often overlooked And um, as we've been working our way through the Minor Prophets, I have been able to see them in a new light and really appreciate uh, the depth in that. And in the women's studies that we are doing, we've been doing 1 and 2 Chronicles, we're in 1 and 2 Kings, how all of it really ties together beautifully. And I don't know that I ever appreciated how perfectly it tied together before. And I wanted to point out, when we go through, we're doing, you know, a prophet, one of the minor prophets each time. We've got basically 30 minutes for a message. If it's me, it's pretty much 30 minutes. If it's Bob, it's 30-ish minutes. Um, And you can't possibly cover an entire chapter, book, maybe even a verse sometimes in the Bible in 30 minutes. So we just wanted to encourage you guys when we are doing this, this is just where we have pulled out an aspect, a theme, a piece of the character of God to teach on in the hopes that it will excite you enough to want to continue your study. And I, I think it's so important as we're in the word, the way things are going today, sometimes that is a place of refuge for us. This morning when I was praying before coming in, you know, I, I prayed to God. I asked him, you know, how long am I going to be praying about the things that are happening before you start listening to me? And I asked him, when are you going to deliver us from this violence that seems to be surrounding us on every side? And I asked him, am I going to have to continue to look at injustice every morning when I look at the TV and the news and injustice happening in my neighborhood, our country, in our world? Why do you even allow this type of violence and lawlessness and crime and cruelty? You know, God, it seems like we can't even enforce true laws anymore. It feels like criminals are crowding out honest people and perverting laws to suit their own purposes. Now, some of you guys, I heard a little giggling. Maybe you read before you came today as we're going to be teaching on Habakkuk. You know, maybe you're familiar with that book. But the bottom line is that is not the first time that God has heard those questions asked. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk asked those questions in mid-7th century B.C. And we're going to get to that in a second. But I just, when we think that the Old Testament doesn't have something for us, if, when we think that there is nothing that could pertain to what our lives are like today, you, you're missing. You're missing something. I was missing something. I'm going to show you a scripture, and you're going to be like, you could, you could pray, that, pray that almost every day of the week right now. 
So first thing I'm gonna put on screen is I'm gonna put, I'd like to start with some like historical and cultural bits and pieces because I want you to have in your mind, I want you to be able to set the scene to understand a little bit what's happening at the time of this book. So Habakkuk was estimated to have been written between 609 and 589 BC. And there isn't really much in the Bible about him. It's really just in this book. So it's not like we have a lot of information on his lineage or his history or his background. So we have to look at this book and infer some stuff based on what he has written himself. So looking at the writing style of this book, it's three chapters. The last chapter is an actual song that is written like a lament. And it, it says to be sung by the prophet Habakkuk or Habakkuk the prophet. So the prophet part, I feel pretty solid on. You know, he's a prophet. But given the, the writing style with the music aspect in there, it's possible that he was also a Levitical priest, which would make sense um, that he would have this kind of musical knowledge and would write in such a way because the Levites were very involved in worship and the music aspect as well of worship. Habakkuk is an early contemporary of Jeremiah, Nahum, and Zephaniah. And Zephaniah is who Bob taught on last weekend. So when we know contemporaries, it's good to maybe take a look at those books of the Bible as well because it will give you a fuller understanding of the situation, of what's going on. Each book has a different purpose, so often there will be different perspectives that they're written from. And this helps kind of flesh that out for you when you're able to read some other things that were happening around the same time. Habakkuk is written to Judah to warn them of a coming judgment. Now, I know some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, another coming judgment. It really, it, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of coming judgment when we're looking at the prophets. But we have to look at that as God's mercy, that he took the time to even warn the people about what was going to happen. At this time, the Babylonians, or your Bible might call them um, Chaldeans, were taking over as the primary leaders in the Middle East. That had been Assyria, but at this point, Babylonia, the Babylonians have kind of taken over that place. And um, King Josiah, who was a good king, made a kind of a mistake at the end of his reign with Egypt, and he gets injured and killed in battle. And his wicked son and they call him his, the wicked son, Jehoiakim is ruling, and Judah is spiraling down with him. Now, anybody that is introduced as a wicked king, you know it's, it's not good. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know it's not good. Now, there was a son that ruled for three months prior to that, but he was deposed by the Egyptians um, after just three months, so he wasn't really a factor. And we've got Jehoiakim that's in uh, power at this point. The companion reading that I would give you, that I would suggest if you are interested at all, again, at seeing some more of the background around this story, would be Jeremiah 50 and 51, 2 Kings, end of 23, beginning of 24, and 2 Chronicles 36. Again, not all-encompassing, but just some that have some bits and pieces. And this right here is in the notes on version and in the notes that I've posted on Facebook. Or if you watch the video again, so you don't have to memorize that. Don't worry about that. You'll be able to find that again. 
Oh, so we'll go ahead and we'll just start getting in to the message part of this. So Habakkuk is a little different with, than the other prophets in the way that we typically would see where God would go to the prophet and he would say, I need you to, to relay this message to the people. In Habakkuk, though, he actually is the one initiating this conversation with God. It's very, it's very personal. And he's asking really tough questions. So if you look in your Bible, you know how it has little subtitles before the sections that you're reading. The subtitle in my Bible names this Habakkuk's Complaint. So it's not like he's even pretending that this is something else other than a complaint. And it's a pretty brutally honest opening to this conversation with God. Me, most of the time, I don't start with that. I try to start with something that's a lot more, I'm so thankful for the, Habakkuk, he's wrestling with what is happening in his world. And so we're going to start with the Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4. And this is an actual, the actual verses of what I paraphrased at the beginning of this. And this is out of the CEV. Our Lord, how long must I beg for your help before you listen? How long before you save us from all this violence? Why do you make me watch such terrible injustice? Why do you allow violence, lawlessness, crime, and cruelty to spread everywhere? Laws cannot be enforced. Justice is always the loser. Criminals crowd out honest people and twist the laws around. Now, I wanted to point out, CEV is not the version that I typically teach from. I'm going to be teaching mostly from NLT. But it's a version that I felt those verses were specifically powerful and relatable for us where we are today. CEV is contemporary English version, and it's a phrase-by-phrase translation. And I just want to point out the benefit to that is our language changes over time. The nuances and the... And, uh, you know, slang, all kinds of things. So having something that is a phrase-by-phrase, fairly contemporary translation helps to make that language relatable. It would not be probably the only book that I would use for study, but it's an excellent resource to have when you're, when you're trying to really grasp the feel behind some of the verses. The NLT, I'm just going to read you how the NLT uh, reads that verse 4 about um, laws cannot be enforced. NLT says, the law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And I thought that that word paralyzed was um, an interesting thing to think about in that situation. Um, So we can see now where Habakkuk is, a lot of bad stuff happening, and we can um, know where we are at, obviously, what we are dealing with, with COVID, with social justice situations, with all of those things. And, and with all of this going on at once, I am hearing the word unprecedented used very often. But clearly, this is not unprecedented. It might be in our modern times, but if you read those verses, you've got to know that God has seen it all. He has seen it all and then some. So think about Habakkuk's conversation with God, initiating that conversation. I feel confident if you're a believer 
most people pray to some extent. You know, maybe they're, they're formal in their prayers, maybe they're casual, maybe it's conversation. Maybe you ask, God, should I take this job? Should I spend this money? Should I go to this, this trip? Should I do this or do that? But do you feel comfortable asking God the hard questions, like what Habakkuk was asking? Do you feel comfortable with that? You can. You can, you know. He, he's okay with you asking the hard questions. You can admit your doubts, your fears. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to go to someone else to tell us what God says we should do. He has given us the Holy Spirit so we can ask that of him directly. And he's not gonna be mad that you have doubts or fears. He welcomes that because he wants to be the one that is your source. But if you ask it, you'll also take the time to listen and not just listen for 20 seconds and then give up on getting an answer if you don't get it immediately or mumbling under your breath because you didn't get that immediate answer. If you ask a question, you have to be willing to take the time to get an answer. And when you get the answer, is you, would you say that your trust is complete in the answer that God gives you? even if it's not what you expected as an answer. An example would be when the Lord replied to Habakkuk. So we're going to bring this on screen here. This is verses 5 through 6. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. So if I'm Habakkuk, I'm like, why did I ask that question? That was not what I wanted or expected. Um, But specifically, God is telling Habakkuk that he is going to use Babylon to punish Israel, the Judah section of Israel, for, for all that they've done. And he goes into more detail throughout the chapter on how notorious a people they are for their cruelty and violence. And that the strength, their strength is their God, which means mercy is not part of of their persona. Okay? And remember, there are contemporary prophets at this time. But this Habakkuk, his concern is his own sphere of influence, that Judah area. And so he hears that. And he's like, wait, what? They are even worse. The Babylonians are worse than we are. What in the world? And so Habakkuk moves on to his second complaint. Uh, And again, we could use this almost word for word, just swap out a couple things like the word Babylonians. and, And this applies today. I could see us feeling this way. Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely You do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? And he's not saying that they're super righteous. He's just saying the Babylonians are even worse. 
And then he goes on to ask in verse 17, and I'm just going to read this to you. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? So it's not a stretch to believe that Habakkuk, after opening up this can of worms with God, is maybe hoping that he can sway or change God's mind. And so after he lays out a very clear protest to God's first response to his first complaint, he says he's going to go stand at his guard post on the watchtower and see how God answers his second complaint. So for a moment, we're just going to think about what the watchtower is. The watchtower is something where somebody would go and they would watch for dangers coming their way so that they could warn the people about what they see coming. And so the, the watchman who's in the watchtower, who's looking for his things, his responsibility is to warn the people. That's what he's accountable for. What he is not accountable for is how the people react to the warning that he has given. But that's what he says. He's going to go up there and he's going to wait and see how God responds. And God does. And he responds, then the Lord said to me, and this is verses two through four in chapters two, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. You gotta love the fact that God even specifies correct message to others. He doesn't, he wants this to be written the way he is saying it. This vision, so he's giving a vision to Habakkuk to write down, is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, Wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And just a note on the word delayed, we've taught on this before that delayed doesn't necessarily mean quick like that. It means in God's timing. It won't be past God's timing. It will happen at the correct time. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So remember that last sentence, the righteousness gonna live by faithfulness to God. Because in all of that, that's a real thing that Habakkuk and we can hold on to. So it's obvious God isn't changing his mind. What Habakkuk said didn't change God's mind, but he is giving them hope. He's giving him hope by giving him this vision to write down, to share and explaining that even though Babylon is coming, the Babylonians are coming to serve justice to the Israelites, that God is also going to serve justice to the Babylonians. So God elaborates as we go through chapter two on some of the sorrows, some of the versions may use the word woes that will bring Babylon down through the rest of chapter two. He talks about economic injustice where they're, you know, they're charged incredible taxes or interest that keeps the people that are wealthy, wealthy and the poor, poor. It talks about slavery. It talks about irresponsible leaders. So where people are, are working and they have their businesses, this is back then guys, And uh, there are going to be leaders that are drunkards and they're going to be doing all of this stuff and they're going to be subject to that irresponsibility because these people are leaders and idolatry. So God talks about these things and is like, woe to to them. They're going to come in and they're going to put a hurt on you guys for sure, but they're going to do these things and woe to them because they're going to be punished for it as well. 
but God has to throw in a piece of good news because we are only human. And how do you take that information in and not just want to go crawl under a rock and just say, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. So God says in verse 14, and I'm just going to read it to you, for as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. So that is his hope piece that he gives to Habakkuk in this vision. Our big picture understanding of what happens in the world is never going to be as complete or as comprehensive as God's. But neither is our microscopic vision of ourselves. Now, you might think, who knows me better than me? God does. So we might even think he knows us better than we know ourselves. We might think that we know every bit and piece of ourselves, but God knows how, will we re- how we will react, how we will go forward in every situation. He knows that. And that's why his plans work. So Habakkuk, he's bent out of shape that the Babylonians were being raised up, but in truth, they're not gonna get away with a thing. God isn't saying that it's okay what they're going to do or that he's endorsing what they're doing. He is, however, leaving the Babylonians to their own nature as a punishment to Israel. He's using them to accomplish a purpose with Judah, which in turn is going to seal their own fate. It's going to seal Babylon's fate, how they move forward in this. So what would your situation, what would your response to the situation be? Would you be able to say, oh, okay, all right. Fantastic. (laughs) I don't think so. And, And for us, this can be on all different levels. For Habakkuk, this is this is truly a life-changing thing that is about to happen. And Habakkuk takes that vision that God gave him to transcribe onto those tablets, and he decides he's gonna be one of those who live by faith during this time. And he reveals that to God and to the people by writing this chapter three in the form of a prayer and a song, like a psalm. And so we're gonna look at Habakkuk 3.2. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, Help us again as you did in years gone by, and in your anger, remember your mercy. And after those first verses, he moves into a praise and thanksgiving part of this song, and he's essentially remembering what God has done for him and the people in the past, and he's asking that he would do it again. So I'm just going to read this little section to you, verses 8 through 11. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bows and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You recognize the shout out, so to speak, to Exodus, where God rescues the Israelites who are being pursued by the Egyptians by parting the seas. 
This helps Habakkuk to look back to that because that was a pretty big deal. And you need to believe that God is capable of the big deal. So as Habakkuk works through this lament, he overcomes his fear. And I'm not saying that the fear is entirely gone, but he overcomes it and commits to rejoicing in the Lord. In three verses 16 through 19, it says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie in empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. So just as Habakkuk is able to recover, and we have to remember, God is not looking for us to be perfect. He knows we're human. He knows our frailties. He knows those things that we might feel fearful about. But if we are living by faith, we're able to recover in that by remembering all that God has done and strengthening that faith. All he's done for his people by remembering that we can push beyond the fear and uncertainty that we might be uh, tempted to just fall into day after day. We can reflect on our testimonies for ourselves, testimonies in our family, within our church family. It's one of the reasons why we share testimonies so often here at Discover is because it's encouraging to know and to see and to remember that God is fully capable. This prophecy, by the way, was fulfilled when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem in five, uh, 597 BC. And in 539 BC, King Cyrus the Great of Persia in turn conquers Babylon, just as God promised, just as God promised. Worship team, you can start coming up. The defining characteristics of Babylon are not at all unique. We see people and businesses today that take undue advantage of the poor, people that will do things that will make themselves wealthy and keep others in debt. It's not fair, but it happens. We see people that are mistreated for the advantage of others. We experience the consequences of corrupt leaders. You now you see something and you're like, oh my gosh, that is so wrong. But we see that all the time here. Doesn't mean there aren't good leaders, but the consequences of people's sin affects so many. And so that's a frustrating thing for us to see at any time. We see idolatry in many forms, like pride and self-sufficiency. So God's answer to Habakkuk about living by faith, that was appropriate for then, and it is appropriate for now, for every day living by faith, because sometimes that is simply all that we can do. 
We need to trust in God's character. That's why we have a Bible full of this historical information of God's words, of what he's done to show he is credible. He is faithful. He is true to his word. And, and we see it over and over again. And I used to be like, why does this happen over and over again? You wanna know why? Because it happens over and over again. That's exactly why. I, I, I used to think, you know, as you read that, I can't believe that they never got the clue. And then I see the things we go through today and it's, it is the same. I hate to say that, but it is the same. So we have to remember, and by us remembering and us living by faith, we can affect that sphere of influence that we have to encourage those around us to remember, to live by faith, to journal those things that God has done for you so you don't forget that he is fully capable. He loves his creation more than we love it. And if he sent his one and only son to die for us, he is certainly not going to ignore the Babylons of our world today. So we're going to go into communion. And as we do this, I want you to think about, if you didn't get a chance to grab your little communion cups at the front there, you can grab it now. I want you to consider recommitting to live by faith. That even though each and every day you may see in the small things or the big things, things you don't understand, things that don't make sense, can you tell yourself, I am gonna trust in the character of God and the rescue that he afforded me through the blood of his son, Jesus. Can I live by faith? So let's just peel up this little top piece here. If I can do that. So again, Jesus, your body broken for us, I commit to living by faith. I commit to trusting that you are not blind to the things that are going on around me. I commit to believing that you care and that you have a plan. And peel back to second part. Jesus, I accept your rescue through your blood. I know this is the only thing that can make sense. I know that you care what happens to me. You don't hold it against me. If, I'm, if I have doubts, if I have fears, you did the most amazing, huge thing to rescue us. And I commit to accept that and to live by faith in you and you alone. So as you guys go out into today, you can know that the entirety of God's word has something for you. That God loved us then just as he loves us now and that we have the great gift of the Holy Spirit inside us so that we don't have to rely on others to plead our case to God, that we can talk to him and we can be real with him and that he will be faithful to us. Just feel encouraged, feel encouraged and help encourage those around you. Love you guys.